Hello and welcome to the latest podcast for The Lancet Haematology. I'm Richard Lane. In this month's podcast, we're going to be discussing a phase 1-2 study concerning possible treatment options for myelodysplastic syndromes. Let's hear from one of the authors of the accompanying study who kindly gave his time to interview for the podcast. My name is uh, Guillermo Garcia Manero and I'm a professor of medicine and chief of the section of myelodysplastic syndromes in the Department of Leukemia at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. Let's start off with some background. What is the background to the study? What's the clinical problem? Is it that these myelodysplastic syndromes are difficult to treat? And perhaps you could just start by reminding us what they are. First of all, thank you very much for this opportunity. But the myelodysplastic syndromes are a type of uh, leukemia. For years, uh, probably until a decade ago, they were thought more to be kind of like a pre-leukemic uh, condition. But right now, I think most of us think uh, this is uh, leukemia. It's very heterogeneous uh, disease. It tends to affect um, older individuals, mainly males, and it's not infrequent also in patients that have received prior therapies for other cancers. So this is a disease of elderly individuals, very heterogeneous, and frequently associated with adverse uh, cytogenetic and molecular uh, features. So it makes for a complicated situation where it's difficult to use high-intensity type of approaches. Many of these patients are not candidates for uh, stem cell uh, transplantation. And the disease molecularly, as I said earlier, is kind of uh, diverse heterogeneous. Um, over the last 10 years, we have been able to develop two or three therapies, and maybe five, six years ago, we thought that we were going into an exponential a phase where we're going to be able to develop a, a lot of different treatments for this disease. I think it's fair to say that over the last uh, few years, we realized actually that this is more difficult than what we anticipated. We've not been able to actually approve a new drug for myelodysplastic syndrome now maybe for five, six, seven years. The main drugs are what we call the hypomethylating agents or, um, or drugs like isocytidine, uh, desitamine. These are drugs that interfere with DNA uh, methylation and they are effective in patients with myelodysplastic syndrome. In the United States, they are approved basically for most patients with this disease. In Europe, the use is more restrictive, mainly for patients with a higher risk uh, uh, disease. And these drugs, particularly esocytidine, have been shown to improve survival, but unfortunately, a, mar a large majority of patients eventually lose the effect of, uh, of these drugs. And uh, we are in a situation where we basically are kind of desperate in terms of trying to develop new compounds, both for lower-risk disease, higher-risk MDS, and also for patients in whom these uh, hypomethylating agents have uh, stopped basically working. Thank you. That's, you've explained that very clearly. And, yeah, it, it sounds like quite a, a difficult, depressing clinical picture here. So moving on from that, t tell us the aims of this, this study, this Phase 1-2 study. So my group for many years has been uh, interested on in developing these kind of epigenetic modulators, drugs like... Um, hypomethylating agents, histone deacetylase uh, inhibitors, and, you know, we've been able to, like, uh, participate or pioneer some of these uh, studies. Um, it's fair to say, though, that uh, these combinations with HTAC inhibitors, uh, when we, although they look promising in this phase one, uh, phase two uh, trials, when we put them into more substantial phase two, phase three type of uh, uh, programs, they've not been able to really show an improvement in, 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 in survival. So let me actually explain what, 
what I mean. As I mentioned earlier, this esacitadine in particular was shown to have a very significant improvement in survival in patients with a higher risk uh, uh, disease. This is now kind of like the benchmark. So you do a new drug or a new combination in, 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 in MDS, then basically you are not really interested on, on the response rate per se. You're more interested in terms of can you eventually beat the survival that you have with esacitadine as a standard of care. So we've worked quite a bit on, on, on that, and this has been really difficult task, uh, uh, not only for us at MD Anderson, but you know, for most investigators in, in, in the field. Around uh, maybe three or four years ago, a group in Cleveland Clinic um, uh, developed this concept that perhaps a way to uh, approach this combination would be with a second compound known as lenalidomide. This is an imid, this is a drug that is commonly used and approved very effective for patients with uh, multiple myeloma and also for uh, very, uh, not rare, but a small subset of patients with MDS called 5Q- uh, disease. So they came with a hypothesis that perhaps the combination of esacitadine with uh, lenalidomide could be effective and they developed a number of uh, early uh, pilot type of trials that suggested that that may be the case. So if, if this was a little bit different from my way of thinking about this type of combination, but the data from uh, the group in Cleveland was uh, very compelling. And we thought that perhaps a sequential approach to uh, this combination instead of other models that have been used by this group and other groups may be uh, the most attractive, at least from a biological perspective, to do this. So we modeled uh, this combination. And this actually has been uh, an effort that has taken us a, a few years where you know, we first started combining in a sequential fashion esacitadine with lenalidomide, and we were able to actually use very high doses of lenalidomide in combination with ASA. And in the first few months, we didn't see a lot of toxicity, but eventually we saw that actually it was difficult to, to, to deliver uh, in a systematic fashion. So we had to like, kind of like escalate down the dose, and we came with a schedule that is very well tolerated, that um, when you combine esacitadine for five days, and then on day six, you start lenalidomide at a dose of 25 milligrams, also for only five uh, days. And this actually proved to be uh, very effective in our hands and also extremely well uh, tolerated. And that's the data actually that we are presenting in this paper in, in, in the Lancet Hematology. We're very proud of that. And also, it was also presented as an oral presentation at the ASH meeting uh, uh, in December. I think the question is going to be, you know, what do you do with uh, uh, this type of information and whether we have, uh, you know, uh, enough to really move uh, forward into a bigger uh, discussion in terms of can we do randomized trials of esacitadine with or without lenalidomide uh, for patients with, with, M with MDS. Just to reiterate again then, so what you found out in your study is, okay, basing on the, the hypothesis from previous work about this combination, it's what, what you've established today is, is what you believe to be the correct dosing for, for, for these two agents together. That's correct. Excellent. And just to repeat those levels again, the doses again? So the doses, the final doses will be esacitadine uh, used as a dose of 75 milligrams per square meter daily for five days. And then on day six, you start with lenalidomide that is given orally, 25 milligrams daily for five days. So from day six to 10. So the key thing is obviously, I mean, obviously fairly preliminary, but important given that it's such a difficult clinical area to treat these patients. You must be encouraged by these findings. So what happens next? So first of all, the, 
the response rate, as I mentioned, on this group of patients was actually quite uh, uh, substantial, you know, over 50%. Just to give you an idea, complete response rate with single-agent esacitidine, it depends uh, on the study, but it goes from like 10 to 20%. So responses that we saw here, they are significantly higher than what you will expect with single-agent esacitidine. We also were able to uh, determine the survival of these patients. And again, uh, the survival that we found on the phase 2B uh, portion of the study, where we look at 25 milligrams, it's actually probably also uh, longer than anticipated with uh, single-agent esacitidine, particularly because the group of patients that we studied here had a poor prognostic feature. So um, these two drugs are actually uh, approved and commercially valuable, and uh, we are discussing with the sponsor, actually, if there's an opportunity to perform um, uh, more not definitive because a definitive study in MDS will require several hundred patients. So the problem we're encountering is that, you know, uh, sponsors like to have a little bit more definitive data moving into this kind of trial. So I think the next step hopefully will be to develop the randomized kind of pilot phase two trial comparing ASA versus ASA uh, with the combination of lenalidomide and demonstrate through some type of intermediary uh, biomarker, whether this combination has, let's say, a prolonged uh, progression-free survival or survival at six months, some intermediate uh, biomarker that could allow us actually to then say, well, actually, this is something that we would very much like to test on a phase three trial. And I will be very excited about performing this kind of uh, studies. Let's hope that uh, you can move quickly on to, to you know, full phase two and beyond to phase three because clearly this is a very important area of, of clinical research and one where we need to, to make progress as quickly as possible but it, but it seems very encouraging. I'm delighted to be talking to you now. Dr. Garcia Manero on the line from the MD Anderson Cancer Center, University of Texas in the United States. Many thanks indeed for talking to the Lancet Hematology. Thank you. My honor and I'm very excited about this new publication and uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. Many thanks again to Guillermo Garcia Moreno, and thank you all for listening. See you next time.